Okay, take out your Bibles if you would. John chapter 3. We looked at Nicodemus last week. And really, uh, today we, we, we launch into this, what has been called the doctrine of regeneration. Again, as I shared last week, when I was growing up, uh, a very common phrase was born-again Christian. Are you a, a born-again Christian? As I, as I mentioned last week, that, that, that phrase born-again always sounded strange to me until I figured out and realized that it was biblical. Um, it's, it's, it's the language the Bible uses. But, but this, this, this title, born-again Christian, really is a, is a redundancy. If you're a Christian, you've been born again. And if you're born again, you're a Christian. So uh, I, will, I, won't, uh, I, I will not uh, call you a heretic if you say born-again Christian. Uh, but, but really, just to, break, just to highlight the fact that what John is going to tell us is that you cannot be a Christian, you cannot become a Christian unless you are born again. And that is going to be his point. So John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it. But you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? What does it mean to be born again? Um... John chapter 3 really is, as I, as I studied, as I thought about it, it was, it's really kind of an FYI. In other words, he's saying this is for your information because, as we will see, some, being born again is not something that you choose to do. It is not something you choose to do. It's not something you can do. And he is going to draw a comparison any more than you made a choice to be born physically. How many of you chose to be born physically? None of us. We had no part in that whatsoever. And he's going to draw an analogy to that in terms of spiritual birth. So it, this is, he's really not telling Nicodemus he has to do anything because regeneration is not a work, is not a human work. It's not something, okay, I need to go out and regenerate myself. I need to go out and get born again. That's not the case. It's an FYI. For your information, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. So this is an FYI, not a go and do likewise. Right, just from the standpoint, right from the beginning. What does it mean to be born again? Well, this phrase 
occurs only a couple times in the, in the New Testament. It occurs here in John chapter 3. It, it occurs in 1 Peter 3, or 1 Peter 1, verse 3. I read that this morning. But also 1 John, um, it, it's interesting, the same author uh, records um, this, this phrase, being born of God. So although it's not the same word as uh, born again, it probably is referring to the same uh, concept of regeneration, of being born again. Being born of God is being born again. Uh, so, but if you were to read these passages, they don't really tell us either what being born again means. Uh, so here's, here's the challenge I had in studying afresh John chapter 3 in this doctrine of regeneration, doctrine of born again, is because I had always been taught uh, one thing about regeneration. And I wanted to come to the text as, as blank as I could and say, what does the text tell me? And then uh, I realized that uh, much of what I had preconceived or pre-understood about regeneration probably can't be defended by the text. So let's walk through this and see what does it mean to be born again. It's interesting in verse 3, John chapter 3, verse 3, he doesn't begin with the nature of born again. He talks about the necessity of being born again. And there are three things I want us to look at that he says. First of all, he says, uh, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Cannot. It's not that he will not. It's not that that person will not see the kingdom of God. It means that they cannot see the kingdom of God. So the first thing is, 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 is when we talk about the necessity of being born again, is there is an, a, a part of our unregenerate nature is a moral and spiritual inability we cannot, it's not that we will not, it's not that we will choose not to, it's we cannot enter the kingdom of God. We see this in John chapter 6. Turn over to chapter 6, verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. It is not no one will come to me. It's no one can come. Same phrase, udes, dudatai, not able, inability. 1 Corinthians 2.14 1 Corinthians 2.14. A natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them. It has nothing to do with their will. Before we come to know Christ, it's not an issue of the will. It's an issue of ability. Or in this case, inability. So he says, first of all, you have to be born again because of your, your moral and spiritual inability to do anything to enter the kingdom of God. That's number one. You cannot. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you. Same phrase. Cannot. They cannot please God. The necessity of new birth is necessitated because of the cannots that we see in terms of before we come to know Christ, we are not capable of anything that would 
we'd be able to enter the kingdom of God. That's the first thing that I see in John chapter 3 as he says, you cannot. He says it again in verse 5 as well. We'll look at that when we get there. So the first thing is this whole issue of cannot, this, this inability. And what is it that a person cannot do? Verse 3, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, this is not physical sight. Um, we, we use this metaphor all the time. When someone, you're confused about something and someone explains something to you, what do you say? Oh, now I see what you're talking about. Well, what do we mean? Understand. Or it could also mean experience. Uh, quickly turn over to chapter 8. John chapter 8, verse 51. Uh, this was a good example that I found. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. What does it mean to what in this? What do you say? He'll never see death. He'll never what? Experience death. So this is a figure of speech that probably talks more about experience. In fact, the parallel in verse five says enter. Again, we'll we'll look at that and read to verse five. Okay, well, you can disagree later. Yeah, so some have suggested that he's talking about the eschatological kingdom, but I don't think that's exactly what he's, I don't think that's what he's talking about at all here. So hang with me, rest the sermon, and then, then we can go at it. Uh, a lot of people say he's talking about eschat, the eschatological kingdom, and I'll, I'll hopefully uh, I'll address that. Well, let's address it now. Kingdom of God. He should not see the kingdom of God. Again, as David brought up, some people say he's talking about the eschatological kingdom of God. Um, uh, but I think that what we're going to see in this text is there are many aspects of we talk about the kingdom of God. For instance, in Luke 17:21, Jesus, in fact, says to the Pharisees, the kingdom of God is, is not something that's observable. So this is why I rule out eschatological kingdom of God here. He says it's not something that's observable. In fact, the kingdom of God is within you. Now, a lot of our translations say in your midst. But the, the, I don't understand why they do that. Because the only other place that that word is used, it clearly is talking about inside or within. So what do we mean by the... What does he mean by they will not experience... Or enter, in verse 5, enter the kingdom of God. I think it's, as we will see as we, as we go throughout this passage, he's talking about the spiritual reign of Christ. The spiritual reign of Christ. Christ reigns, uh, by the way, in a, broadly speaking, Christ reigns in all aspects of his creation. What does Matthew 28, 18 say? All Authority, King James's power, exousia, yeah, all authority in heaven and what? On earth, not just spiritual, all authority has been granted to the Son. So there is a sense in which Christ reigns not just spiritually, but he reigns in our world. The earth is the Lord in the fullness thereof. But in terms of Kingdom of God, when he says the kingdom of God is within you, 
this is a spiritual kingdom. This is a spiritual rule and reign of Christ. In fact, uh, again, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20, he talks about the current spiritual reign of Christ. So, Jesus said clearly to Nicodemus, you, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter into the saving reign of Christ. And this is why it is a necessity. But it still doesn't answer the question of what is it? What does it mean to be born again? Well, verses 4 through 8, we'll talk more about the nature of the new birth. Not just the necessity of it in verse 3, but the nature of it in verses 4 through 8. Nicodemus responds. He says to him, oh, how can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Now, now let me ask you something. Uh, one option is that Nicodemus believes Jesus is talking literally. Do you think, in all likelihood, Nicodemus really thinks Jesus is, t- is talking literally? When, when he says, well, I don't understand. You, or, you know, can a man be born? Can he enter in, into his mother's womb a second time? Does he, does he really think Jesus, that, that Jesus means that literally? I don't think so. I, I, I don't think he's that dull. Is he, so is he confused? Is he, is he taking Jesus literally? Is that why he's confused? No. Is he fatalistic? Uh, it's interesting. Some say that what he's saying is, you know what? Can you teach an old dog new tricks? I've been a Pharisee all my life. This is my tradition. This is all I've ever known. And remember we talked last week about the, the Pharisees' doctrine. They were Pelagian. They, they believed wholeheartedly in the fact that a person can keep the law of God, that they, that, that, that they focus on self-attainment and self-righteousness. And that's all that Nicodemus has ever known. And now, now Jesus is saying, no, you, you, you cannot enter the kingdom of God through your self-attainment and through self-righteousness. He's saying, can you teach an old dog new tricks? This is, this is all I've ever known. Was it fatalistic? Or was it skeptical? In essence, is he saying, how, how does this work? Are, how, and and we, we sometimes talk like this. You know, are, are, are you saying that, 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 it, that we have to enter the womb again and, and be born again? Is he skeptical in the sense of, I, I don't know, I don't understand how this works. How does this work? And so Jesus clarifies once again what he said in verse 3. Look at verse 5. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, it's interesting. If if you you were to put verse 3 and verse 5 together, you would see the parallelisms where verse 5 is further defining or clarifying verse 3. So verse 3 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot sing the kingdom of God. What does verse 5 say? Unless one is born of water and spirit. So I take that to be equivalent. So what he means by being born again is by being born of the water and spirit. Now, again, a lot of our translations have a capital S for spirit. And, and uh, the, the, it's, it, there's no definite article in, in the original text. Um, so it could go either way. Um, some have suggested that it should be 
through water and spirit. Um, I don't think we need to make a big deal out of that. Um, but, but this notion of, of water and spirit um, has created uh, a teaching that we are born. The water represents baptism and the spirit represents faith. So we're, we are saved by faith plus baptism. And um, this requires a, a, whole, a whole message by itself. So we'll deal with that next week. Um, what, what is this talking about? Is this talking about baptism plus faith? Um, the key is verses 9 through 10. If you look with me down at 9 and 10, he says to Nicodemus, or Nicodemus says, how can these things be? And what does Jesus say to him? Verse 10. What is he saying? What? What? You shouldn't. You should know this already. Which? What's the implication? It has a reference. It has an Old Testament reference. He was the teacher of Israel. In fact, in, in verse ten, he says that he says, "You are the teacher of Israel, and you don't understand these things." In other words, Jesus is saying, "These are. This is nothing new. You should understand what I mean by this." This is approximately three years before Christian baptism even exists. So what might he be talking about? Well, this is important. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 36. One example. Ezekiel chapter 36. Before I tell you what verse, and then I'll have to go back before that verse. Let me think through here where we want to start. <laughs> And I have to go to 35. Uh, I'm just... uh, (laughs) Verse 24. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the lands and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. And I'll cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. Now, many again are saying that this is a millennial kingdom uh, that that is coming in the future, that this this is going to be fulfilled literally in Israel during during some kind of millennial kingdom. Um, that, that, that That's for another time and another place. But this might be one of those very places that that. Jesus said, you should understand this, this, this conceptual unity of water and spirit, of water in terms of cleansing, um, of purification, uh, of the spirit in terms of a new heart, uh, a, a new capacity. I put my spirit within you. And, and, and so he's saying to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you, you should understand this. You should not be amazed. You should not be surprised. You should not be confused. Or you certainly shouldn't be skeptical of these things because this is talking about spiritual restoration, spiritual transformation, spiritual cleansing. In fact, this may very well be what Paul tells Titus in chapter 3, verse 5. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it. Titus 3, verse 5. When he says, He saved us, 
not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out. What is, what's, the, what's the image of being poured out? Water. It's, he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Now again, a lot of people says that this washing is baptism. But, but why is this not baptism? This is what's called a genitive. A washing of regeneration. So who's doing the washing and who's getting washed? Is regeneration getting washed? The washing... So, regeneration is getting washed. Who's getting washed? We are. Who's doing the washing? Regeneration. The washing resulting from regeneration. We're not water baptized by regeneration. And, And we're going to look again at that next week. We, we are washed, and this is, these are metaphors. We sang it. We sang it this morning. We are washed by what? By the blood. There is, a, there is a cleansing. There is a purification from sin by regeneration, this process of being born again. We are washed. We are made clean. Not through water, but through the Spirit's work in our lives. So, water and spirit is something that, is, that, that, that would have been very common to them, but they didn't get it. And in fact, Jesus says, you should have gotten this. And in fact, he says to us, you should understand these things. You need to understand these things. This is a washing. This is a cleansing. This is a spiritual transformation wrought by the Holy Spirit. Water and spirit. Washing and renewal. Being poured out upon us. This, this purification language that we see related to being born again. It is a washing. It is a cleansing. Now, when I was in seminary, um, and, and for those of you that, that grew up in a Reformed tradition, we have what's called an order, ordo salutis. It's called the order of salvation. And and under the rubric of salvation, we have different doctrines that the Bible teaches us. The Bible talks about predestination and election. The Bible talks about what we call justification. The Bible talks about sanctification. We have all these different aspects. The Bible talks about faith and repentance. How are we saved? We're saved by faith alone. And the the, the presumption is that, that, that repentance has been present. And so we had this, we'd always been taught, and I was been taught, that regeneration precedes faith. So here's the option. Does re, do, am, I, am I washed and cleansed and born again before I exercise faith? Or am I washed and cleansed after? So this is what, this is what they say. When I was growing up, in, a, in my Southern Baptist tradition, it's I believed in Jesus and then I was born again. But I always ask myself, well, when I believed in Jesus, I was forgiven. What does regener- Why do I need to be washed after I've been forgiven? But the language of 
if you read these, these texts, we're going to look at it a little more closely next week. When you look at the language of these texts, uh, well, so they're saying that, let me get back to my point, that it's, it, it happens simultaneously, but, but the logical priority is that regeneration has to come first because we're spiritually dead. So God has to bring us back to life before we're able to believe. So that's why in a Reformed tradition, we always said, that regeneration, while it's probably simultaneous with justification, with belief, with faith, it has to come first to free us, to free our will that cannot believe and make, it, make us able to believe. I'm not sure I hold to that anymore. What's that? What do you mean? But when was he washed and cleansed? After. So could be simultaneous, could be at, yeah. I, I um, uh, here's we'll talk about that a little bit more next week. Let me just say this though, um, there is a great deal of of mystery with regeneration. Uh, uh, my son, I was talking to my son about this because he's preaching Titus three five this morning. So we've been talking a lot about this, and he shared with me Burkhoff's systematic theology. We're not really sure. We're not really sure when regeneration occurs. The, the big debate is, can someone be regenerated? If, if we say that regeneration is a freeing of the soul, uh, uh, an enabling of the soul, which, by the way, that's not the language the Bible says that regenerate. What is the language the Bible teaches about regeneration? Washing, not enabling. So, Where was I? Do you have moments like that? I'm sure it was going to be really profound. Oh, so thank you. So the other thing is, well, if, if, I, if I am regenerated before I believe, then on, but what basis am, as, are my sins washed and made new? How, and what basis am I, am I made new if I haven't believed yet? You see, you see the dilemma? So one way is to say, well, it's simultaneous. It happens at exactly... Oh, here's where I was going to go. And I was right. It is very profound. Um, the big argument is, can someone be... Assuming that regeneration is, is being brought to spiritual life, enabling me to believe, that could there be a time period between the moment that, that Jesus... Re, or the Holy Spirit regenerates someone and the time that they believe? Most people say that it has to be simultaneous, that, that, that they are regenerated, they are brought to spiritual life, and then they believe right then. I don't think that the texts necessitate that. In fact, I would guess that that is what, when we see seekers, we see someone who, who, who are, they're just truly seeking after the Lord, they may very well, in, if, if you assume that regeneration occurs first, they may very well have been regenerated, and now they're really wrestling and seeking. And they, and they come to know Christ. All I'm saying, guys, is what does the text tell us? Um, it just says you have to be regenerated before you enter the kingdom of God. It doesn't address when it occurs. We assume it has to occur before faith because Ephesians 2 5, 2, 1, and 2, 5 says we were spiritually dead. And the language about you cannot see, you cannot experience, you cannot enter. 
But I am suggesting that there are some texts that indicate to us there may be an operation of the Holy Spirit that is not that we typically have not understood as regeneration. There is an operation of the Holy Spirit that frees someone to believe and that so that they are they are morally and spiritually able to believe. And once they exercise faith at that moment, they are regenerated. They are cleansed. They are washed. I'm thinking of Lydia who said the Lord opened her heart to believe. That, 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 is not, that doesn't fit the classic description of regeneration. Certainly not the texts that talk about washing. It said he opened her heart. We read in 1 Peter about the Word, the, the, the process of the Word opening hearts. We read in 2 Corinthians 4 about the, God shining the light of the glory of Christ in our hearts. This is not regeneration language. So I'm suggesting maybe, guys, and I'm still working through this, there's an operation of the Holy Spirit that we haven't attached a fancy label to yet that does free a dead, uh, spiritually dead soul to believe and that, that at that moment of faith, they are not only declared righteous, but their sins now have been are washed and cleansed. That's what I'm suggesting. And, and in fact, he goes on to say this, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. So this is what is telling me. That he's talking about spiritual transformation. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Now, the flesh here is not sin nature. He's talking about physical birth versus spiritual birth. Those of you that are in Genesis, Genesis chapter one. Um, there is this phrase, if you have not read Genesis 1, or reread it again, when he's creating the, 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 the grass and the trees and the animals, there's this phrase that, that, uh, that God has given us time after time after time. And it's, it's this phrase, after its kind. And they were created after its kind. After its kind, after its kind. We don't have different kinds turning into other kinds. <laughs> they were all created after its kind. And, and that's a sense what Jesus is saying here. You have physical birth, which is of a physical nature, but you need to be born spiritually with a spiritual nature. And he said, that, that's when he says, don't be amazed. This is, this is not only should you have known this from your Old Testament text, but, but this, is, this is obvious. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Humans give birth to humans. Physical birth gives birth, it produces physical birth. Spiritual birth requires spiritual transformation. And then he describes, here we have probably the first, the closest we're going to get to description. Verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And quickly, let me just give you some things. That, number one, he's this, he, he is, he is uh, comparing the, the operation of the Spirit and regeneration to the wind. And by the way, those two words in Greek are the same. Pneuma. Spirit and wind are both pneuma. Which is interesting. He's, Jesus is drawing upon those two things. Well, what do we know about the wind? Um, well, we know a lot more. What is wind, by the way? Does anybody know? How would you... How would you just, someone says, what's wind? <laughs> it relates to that. That's a, it's, it's, yeah, it's the movement of air. It's just air moving... And air moves from what? One place to another. From high pressure to low pressure. And, and 
the, the greater uh, the, the greater the pressures, the stronger the wind. Um, we understand that now. They probably didn't understand high pressure, low pressure. They didn't have. I'm thinking they didn't have radar. Although I probably their their weather prediction is probably not much more accurate than ours. Um, but it's, the, the air is a mystery. I mean, you can't. His point is, you can't see it. How many of you have seen wind? No, you don't see wind. You see the effects of wind. And that's exactly what he says. And he said, it, first of all, he says it's independent. The, the wind does what? It blows wherever it wants to. We can't change wind direction. It, we say, well, you know what? It's gonna, winds tomorrow are going to be out of the northwest at 40 miles an hour. Uh, that's not going to work for me. That's not going to work for us. We're going to change it. You can't change it. You have no control over it. It's independent. It is completely independent. Number two is it's irresistible. We can't stop the wind. Now, what we can do is what? We can put up wind breaks, but that's what to just what? To shield us from the wind, but we can't stop it. It's irresistible. Wind is, we try to harness it. We can channel it. We can harness it, but we can't stop it. It's, it's, it's irresistible. It, the regeneration is a sovereign work of God. While it may be resisted by a person temporarily, ultimately, they cannot resist it. They will be overcome by the gracious, loving um, love and grace of the Father. By the way, let me just say something. A lot of times we talk about the sovereignty of God and irresistible grace. People say, oh, you're just saying that, that God drags people into heaven kicking and screaming. And, and, and let me tell you how I respond to that now. I respond to that, man, I'd rather be drugged into heaven kicking and screaming than left to my own devices and spend eternity in hell. God, if you want to drag me into heaven against my will, please do. We, 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 somehow we have this, this weird thing. We've got to protect the human will. Well, they say because you can't have true love unless you have a will. And I, I, I choose to love. Well, in heaven, will you be able to choose not to love? No. 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 <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's independent, it's irresistible, and it's invisible. It's not observable. And this is why, this is the mystery of regeneration. This is the mystery of being born again. It is, it is not observable. Jesus said, this is not something you're going to see. It, it is a mysterious work of the Spirit, spiritually transforming, spiritually cleansing, spiritually washing us. And the implication is sin, uncleanness. It's not something you can observe. But what does he say it can be observed? You hear the sound of it, and we see the effects of it. That can be observed, but the work of the Spirit is not observable. And this is getting back, answering Nicodemus's question, how can this be? Nicodemus is looking for observation. And Jesus is saying, you're not going to see this. And, and to a large degree, it is mysterious. And in fact, we do see that uh, in now in a lot of the theologies. 
um, that I've that I've read and that I'm reading it is, is those who are honest with the text. This is a tremendous mystery. This this operation of the Holy Spirit in our lives is a tremendous mystery. We don't know when it occurs exactly. We can guess. We can try to uh, extrapolate, I guess. For me, I had always held that, that regeneration came first, and then I believed. But if regeneration, the text, John 3, Titus 3, 5, Ezekiel talks about washing and cleansing. Water, the cleansing of water, of the Holy Spirit, then upon what basis am I cleansed before I believe? Well, what can we say? Here, here's, here, here's the, and then we'll leave. What can we say based on John 3? We can say what Jesus said. It's necessary for salvation. Regardless of when it happens or how it happens. It has to happen. You cannot get to heaven, Nicodemus, by self-righteousness. You cannot get to heaven through your own works. It is necessary for salvation. It's not something we do. He doesn't say, okay, now Nicodemus, go get out there and go be born. Go get borned. Go get birthed. What would we say? It's necessary, but it's not something we do. It's, it's, it's an inner transformative operation, presumably from our sin and its effects. And number four, it is a sovereign efficacious. And efficacious means it, it achieves its desired end. It, it, will, it will, in fact, wash. Jesus doesn't, the Holy Spirit doesn't try to wash somebody and go, oh, it didn't take. It's interesting to me that in John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, we have a description of this. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. So they believed, and then they became children of God, which means what? They were born again. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, which is first John language, even to those who believe in his name. Who were born, not of blood, not because your granddaddy was a Christian. You're not a Christian because your whole family were Christians. You're not, you know, he's, he's saying you're not, you're not going to heaven because you're a Jew. Somebody needs to tell John Hagee that. You're not going to heaven because you're Jewish. You're, you're bloodline. He said, number two, you're, you're not going to heaven by the will of the flesh. You're not going to go to heaven by doing stuff. And you're not going to be born again by your own will your own independent will, by the will of man, but of God. You must be born again. And what this rules out is anything on our part, anything on our part, to enter the kingdom of God. It rules it all out. We can argue about when it happens. We can even argue to a certain extent about the nature of it. But it is, a, it is an independent, sovereign work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And, and so what, what, what do we say? There's nothing we can do. 
But what it should be, what it should, what it should do for us is, is bring us great confidence. And let me say this again: a great confidence. There is no one too far beyond being saved. The wind is independent. The wind is irresistible. The wind can't be that. That there is no one that God cannot regenerate. I'm glad that for those people in my life that I know that don't know Jesus, that it's not up to them. I'm glad it's not ultimately up to them. I'm glad it's up to God. I can pray now with confidence. And it should leave us in a state of awe and gratitude. We say this, I say this in weddings. Of all the people you could have chosen, you chose me. Of all the people you could have reached down and, and taken a, a heart of stone and given it a heart of flesh and washed me of my sin and cleansed me of my sin. Of all the people you could have picked, that, that, that you picked me. Oftentimes I hear, you know, Jacob I've loved, Esau I've hated. Oh, how could, how could God have hated Esau? No, the question is, how could God have loved Jacob? If you read anything about Jacob, the real, the real mystery of that saying, of that verse, is not that he hated Esau. The real mystery is why would he love Jacob? Jacob was the most unlovable guy probably in the entire Old Testament, maybe other than Pharaoh. To think that it is not up to me to get saved. It was not up to me to wash myself of my sins through either literal water or even spiritual water. But it was solely an independent, mysterious operation of the Holy Spirit in my soul that washed me and cleansed me and made me brand new. That should bring awe and wonder as well as confidence. We're late. Thank you for your patience. Let's pray. Father.